Okay, parachute's ready. Boy, the things I go through to get auto loan rates as low as 1.04% APR for 36 months on new vehicles with PenFed. You are aware that you don't have to be a military member to save hundreds on your auto loan, aren't you? Anyone can join PenFed. As someone terrified of heights, I probably should have looked into that. Probably. Drop me off at the shore. PenFed Credit Union. Visit PenFed.org slash autos or call 1-800-247-5626. Advertised rates available through the PenFed car buying service. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, North Stream. Good ready. This Eagle Eyes on Tech. I am Eagle Falcon. This is going to be an amazing episode. We have a ton to talk about. And we're going to start off white hot. Twitch has put up a blog post responding to the current criticisms they have faced regarding. DMCA takedowns. For those who are not in the loop, congratulations. I I, I just want to congratulate you if you're actually out of, if you are legitimately out of the loop on the DMCA issues regarding Twitch. Bravo. I don't mean that sarcastically. I am literally jealous of you. Because this has been a nightmare for those of us in the know. With that said, let me get you up to speed. Not too long ago, Twitch had begun receiving a metric boatload of DMCA takedown requests from the RIAA which we referred to from here on out as the record companies because that's basically what they are. It has been primarily targeting VODs, that's short for video on demand, which are usually the past streams, but also can be dedicated uploaded videos to Twitch. Yes, you can upload Offline content to Twitch as though it were YouTube. And that is about as popular on Twitch as live content is popular on YouTube. Yeah, I'd say that's about right. So these have been getting a lot of takedown requests, but the thing that's been new is the fact they've been targeting clips. Clips are short snippets that users can make of streams they like and these clips can be anywhere from one second to 60 seconds in length might even be able to get them shorter than one second but but why and these have been drawing copyright flags so the thing is that twitch has always had a vod muting system Where they will go in with a bot and mute your VOD if they detected any sort of copyrighted music. But Clips had no such system in place. Well, now they've been a target. So have VODs. 
and videos that are years, underlying years old. I have heard as that videos as old as five years have been targeted for DMCA takedown requests. And, well, Twitch has handled this uh, about as well as the Pokemon Magikarp handles life in that they just flapped and bounced around everywhere and didn't seem to really get anything done. In fact, the best part was when on a Wednesday, Twitch decided to send a vaguely threatening letter to a large number of their users. iFortune was not one of them. I had to get mine secondhand from someone else who got one legitimately because, well, with my experience with YouTube, I've always taken this a bit more seriously than others, but I digress. And they were given a notice of three days to go ahead and make and just be aware that in three days, we may just delete a whole bunch of your stuff. If it is found to violate the DMCA, which then gave everyone a grand total of three days to go and download all of their VODs because they never stored it locally and it was a nightmare for everyone involved. That was, wow, when was that? That was about a month ago-ish. Fast forward to today. This came out on Friday? That doesn't seem right. Was this blog post posted on Friday? It couldn't have been. Dates doesn't add up. Anyway, this was posted earlier in the week. I want to say this was on... Wednesday, because I think I did the early bird briefing for it Thursday. But I again, I digress. The entire blog post is very, very long, by the way. But I want to go over a few of the things that were covered in it. And it actually looks like they updated this blog post in regards to... I think some of the feedback they got, because there was a lot of uh, very aggressive feedback, because I'll give you the summarized version, basically. The whole thing was them acknowledging that they messed up when it came to handling the DMCAs in the way they did by only giving creators a three-day notice before starting to just delete all this stuff without their acknowledgement. Without telling you, they were just going to say, you know what, we're just going to delete VODs if it violates DMCA because we have to take it down. They also then went on to say, look, we are banking on Twitch Soundtrack to go ahead and be a good solution. Twitch Soundtrack, if you don't know, is a piece of software that Twitch is launching and is very glitchy at best right now. But that is the way of Twitch, and I digress. That its sole purpose is that you can play music that Twitch supposedly has the rights to 
but it will not appear in the VOD or in clips. So why have it not appear in VODs and in clips if Twitch holds the rights to it and their rights say, hey, people can rebroadcast this? That doesn't make sense on its face. If you have the rights, then it shouldn't matter whether it's live or not. Right? And in fact... I reported that there were, in fact, some tracks that were known to be copyrighted music. So unless Twitch negotiated with those artists, it should not be in there. So it seems odd, to say the least, all right? So there's that. They did then acknowledge... And I think I mentioned this earlier, but they did acknowledge that the way they reinforced it was sloppy. They should have given us more time. And yes, you absolutely should have. But they didn't, and they were sorry for that. Thanks. Thanks, Twitch. They then went on to acknowledge that they are working on additional tools to handle DMCA notifications properly, such as doing crazy things like, oh, I don't know, notifying the broadcaster that there is a takedown request against this, that, or the other thing. Wow. And then giving you the tools to what is legally allowed under the DMCA to file a counterclaim. Wow! What a noble concept. You only could have just, you know, worked on this years ago. Saw what happened to YouTube and had the thought to go, you know, one day this is going to happen to us. Because let me tell you something, Twitch. If a freaking twit like me sitting over in nowhere Wisconsin behind one mic could figure out this is going to happen to you eventually you and your army of lawyers should have figured this out an eternity ago come on and no saying we're surprised this happened is not an excuse that is a sign of your incompetence What was even worse, though, what's even worse in all this, though, is some of the responses that Twitch put out there. First off, confirmation that uh, Twitch soundtracks is not the solution that they made it out to be is one Twitter user asking, why did parts of my VOD get muted last night when I was using the Twitch-approved music app? The answer that Twitch provided was, we are sorry for the issues with this. When soundtrack is configured with OBS or slobs, 
The music from the player should be removed from the VOD entirely. I would double check to make sure it's configured properly. Thus, kind of leaning more towards it either being an incomplete license agreement or, like someone in the chat just mentioned, it's a live-only style license like, like something you'd have with a radio. My personal favorite, though. Here's my personal favorite. Some of the advice out of Twitch in light of this reads as follows. This is from an official Twitch account. Hey there. Thanks for reaching out. And this is in, re- in referring to uh, another str- another streamer. We recommend reading through any games EULA and utilizing any option to turn o- turn music off if the game includes that option or mute the game audio. Yeah, that, that's what I want to I want to go play rhythm games without the game audio. Doesn't that sound exciting, guys? <sighs> Some of the advices that Twitch is giving just really shows that they are roughly as ignorant of how the DMCA works as most of the streamers on Twitch don't misunderstand I'm not blaming any of the streamers for not understanding the DMCA the only reason I actually have a grasp on the on the DMCA is because well because I do this podcast and this was a major issue in YouTube not too long ago and also because I have dealt with DMCA abuse on YouTube quite frequently. So for Twitch to be going to these lengths is just, um, it doesn't give a good image. Oh, by the way, probably one of the best things lately that is just kind of a facepalm moment right now as I'm recording this, Twitch is having their virtual-only TwitchCon. They're calling GlitchCon. It's also why currently, right now, if you type Kappa in the chat, it's golden. Because the glitches dirty, dirty, dirty. Anyway. Um, one of the things they said to try and show how good everything is on Twitch right now. Big things are currently happening in music. On Twitch. Slow. Freaking. Clap. Yes Twitch. Big things are happy in music right now on Twitch. And not for the right reason. Especially when you have artists. Getting banned for playing their own music. (sighs) And I get that it's going to take time to make the tools. I get that. 
And Twitch did acknowledge they are going to be making tools very similar to what YouTube did. And quite frankly, as much as I hate the tools that YouTube has, that is the right answer. And more than likely, they are going to be abused. And quite frankly, the only proper solution is going to eventually be reform of the DMCA law itself. And quite frankly, I don't think any politician on the planet has the stomach for it right now, at least here in the U.S. In fact, the entire political landscape right now is a toxic swamp that just, the less I deal with it, the better. The less anyone deals with it, the better. Speaking of which, the current administration has delayed the ban on TikTok. Anyway, moving on to PayPal, they are going to be adding the ability to buy, hold, and sell cryptocurrencies, kind of helping to push this whole thing in regards to this boom, this big boom of being paranoid about real money. Quite frankly, this was something that Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies needed an eternity ago. And it is stunning it took this long for it to happen. I also just realized that the laptop that I used to mine cryptocurrency on... I'm pretty sure it was shipped off and uh, turned into scrap metal. Rest in peace. One ten thousandth of a Bitcoin. I mean, that was worth a whole 10 cents or something. Oh, well. We're going to take a break here when we come back. Everyone wants to go ahead and make their own CPU. And I'm not going to lie. I don't think that's a great plan. We'll get more into that. And of course, into the Apple announcements. Because, uh, whoo!
Welcome back, Eagle Eyes on Tech. I'm Eagle Falcon. So, right away, chat, it's just chat's instinct. They hear music with lyrics just like, immediately DMCA'd. No. Because the copyright on that particular track, Rise Up by the Fat Rat, says that rebroadcasting his music is perfectly okay. Wow. What a concept. Love this stuff, by the way. I'd almost love the Quest 2 if it weren't for the fact it was plagued with uh, Facebook. But they have given a software update to it that adds 90 hertz refresh rate, fitness tracking, and much more. But nobody should care. Because in case you forgot... The Quest 2, formerly the Oculus Quest 2, has a terrible virus in it. A virus known as Facebook. So, I mean, yeah, it's great and all, but... um, Still a hard pass for me. I don't know about the rest of you. Just, just no. Absolutely not. Speaking of terrible things happening to good, good products. Google's future Pixel phones will no longer have unlimited Google Photos backup support. Excuse me. Pixel devices used to have the ability to back up any sort of photos to Google Photos. However, Google is looking at Google Photos and saying, you know what, um, I, I, I want this product to uh, not be in the red. Maybe turn a profit. Maybe make money. Ooh. And so a lot of stuff that people liked about Pixel phones, Google Photos as a whole, is going away. Honestly, though, for me, it's not that big a deal, mostly because I'm in the Samsung camp and... uh, Who am I kidding? As far as, like, cell phones go, I have just been in abusive relationships First with Samsung, then I felt felt betrayed there, then I switched over to Apple. And man, that was That was okay. It wasn't great. It wasn't everything it was ever promised, but it was it was okay. That was a pretty okay relationship with that iPhone. Then I switched back to Samsung. And that was way better, but now Samsung just feels, I'm sorry, but $1,000 for a plastic phone. It just feels cheap. It, it feels like they're just out to, it feels like they're trying to out Apple Apple. I don't know. Maybe ditching Samsung and going into the Pixel camp is the way to go. 
Chat says just buy a mid-grade. The thing is, is that, so, I've always loved the premium feel, the, the glass, the metal of a phone like this. It's been fantastic. I'm willing to spend a little bit extra for that kind of feel. To spe- Here's the thing. For more money than I spent on this S10, to get cheap plastic and no headphone jack, it feels like a shakedown. It really does. I don't know. I can almost guarantee you this S10, even though I'm coming due for an upgrade TM, I don't think I'm upgrading. This S10 is just so rock solid. USB-C, headphone jack, excellent camera. I see no reason to upgrade. I really don't. I think I'm only going to upgrade when this phone finally just like cracks and shatters. But that being said, if you're if you're not really into if you if you don't care about a a, a plastic back phone, just want a good phone that functions, a lot of these mid and low low end phones are really good. Like really really good. Like, it is impressive. I would actually say the Pixel phones kind of fall into that mid-grade category. And they have some, like, the best cameras out there. It's just that the uh, the software functionality of uh, having that unlimited cloud storage is gone unless you go ahead and get Google, the, the Google One monthly tier thing I keep forgetting exists. That being said, though, Google is contemplating making their own ARM processors for the Pixel. All right, I'll ask. What? Why? Why are you trying to reinvent the wheel? Like, this is the part that's actually baffling. Most phones nowadays, like we were just talking about, even the low-end phones feel snappy. They feel fast. They feel great for performance. The only where, the only place they they lack is in gaming, and mobile gaming right now is such a dumpster fire that it's awful Unless you're playing, you know, an indie game that is not made by actual parasites like Among Us. Heck, can anyone name any other good mobile games that don't have uh, terrible gotcha mechanics? Genshin Impact still has gotcha mechanics, though. Genshin Impact, mind you, is... A really good value as long as you avoid the um, the gotcha mechanics, but it's still there. 
It's almost a requirement in the freaking. It's almost a requirement in the mobile market to have these sort of predatory mechanics built into it. Chat says it's not thrown in your face. It doesn't matter. It's still there. It's still the sole way it makes its revenue. And it literally is the problem. Yeah, it's not as bad as, say, a Clash of Clans or anything made by EA or anything made by EA or Candy Crush or anything made by Facebook or anything made by EA. But it's almost a requirement in the mobile space, and it's why so many people just have this bad attitude towards mobile gaming. And I can't even tell you how many times you have high hopes for something. You have great, high, amazing hopes. And that turns out it's just awful. Like Ragnarok mobile gaming. Just a giant disappointment. Sometimes there's games that are okay and playable. Genshin Impact. Yu-Gi-Oh! Duel Links. But it doesn't change the fact that the only way mobile gaming thrives is through these predatory these predatory monetization methods and it's why so many people the moment they hear mobile or for iOS and Android immediately without hesitation the instant anything any sort of ad for a game you hear the moment it mentions iOS and Android let's be honest your expectations go from a solid 6, 7 out of 10 to a 2 every single time. And it's because of that that, let's be honest, it's going to take a while for anyone to really, truly want high performance in a phone Pretty much at all. It's what's holding a lot of performance back. Because let's be honest, the processes are fast enough. They're fast enough to make a phone call. They're fast enough to open up a web browser, assuming that your router doesn't absolutely hate you. The only thing that's going to require higher end CPUs is going to be either super high-end productivity tasks, which, let's be honest, if you had the option between answering your corporate emails on your phone or just waiting five minutes until you're back at your office keyboard, you're going to wait five minutes. You're going to wait five minutes every time. Now, if it's 10 minutes, then you might answer it on your phone. 
But it's going to be the same thing with, say, editing a video, running Photoshop, or anything of that nature. You're going to wait until you have your full everything to go and interact with. So Google making its own pixel chips, which was where this whole rant initially started with. Why? What possible good can come from it? And I actually do legitimately mean that. I'm not saying that as some sort of way to start up with this. Because this Computer World article here is trying to give the reason for it. However, I want to, instead of explaining my logic here, kind of build one giant topic. Because this also coincides with Amazon shifting their Alexa Cloud AI off of NVIDIA chips and NVIDIA GPUs to their own custom silicon, of which I can't give you further detail about because the article won't load. There we go. Now it finally did. The concept here, though, is that they have a very specific use case. They specifically want to go ahead and build chips that do only a handful of tasks to be able to do, to be able to process the human language and spit out a result and then throw it back in the form of text, not in the form of text, in the form of speech. All right. It makes some sense. Assuming, assuming their own internal testing, which Amazon's not stupid. Most likely they have, they can pull that off. All right. Which then leads me to the elephant of the week. The Apple M1. As we mentioned on Tuesday, Apple announced three new Apple Silicon-powered Macs. And the silicon they're powered by is the M1. Chat immediately asks, what's the storage capacity of it? You know, it's kind of funny because everything except the storage capacity is built into this one chip. Apple was very proud of the fact they went ahead and said, if this one chip fails, you are absolutely screwed. But it's okay because it's five nanometers. It's 16 billion transistors which means something to someone. 16 billion transistors, but if they don't work properly, who cares? And yes, chat. Chat's trying to get me on a thing saying that RAM's not on the chip. RAM is on the M1. RAM is built into this system on a chip. The CPU is there, 
The GPU is there. The neural engine nobody cares about is there. The cache is there. Basically, the chipset is there. It's all there. All of it on this one chip. But that's not the best part. The best part is that it provides up to 3.9x faster video processing and up to 7.1x faster image processing. And it's freaking 2x faster performance and 25% the power of something. We don't know what, but of something. It has three times the performance per watt of something. You notice a trend here, by the way? Oh, we scroll down. We have the exact same. uh, Oh, here we go. Two times the faster GPU performance of the fastest PC laptop chip. Or I'm sorry, the latest PC laptop chip. Whatever the heck that is. And up to 15 times faster machine learning performance compared to something with amazing battery life too and that's the the battery life is like the only time we got we got any sort of real numbers so yeah we got three new Macs a MacBook Air a 13 inch MacBook Pro and a Mac Mini the Mac Mini was the really the only surprise. But there's a couple of things that are kind of surprising about these. All three of them run the exact same chip. The only exception being the amount of RAM that is built into the chip. The MacBook Air is 100% passive. No fan. The MacBook Pro for a couple hundred dollars more includes the touch bar nobody likes and a fan but also two but also the MacBook Air and the MacBook Pro both only have two Thunderbolt ports and the Mac Mini the Mac Mini I love here the Mac Mini as far as IO has the following Gigabit Ethernet, so it's uh, its capability for wired Ethernet has gone down by 90%. It used to have 10 gig Ethernet. Now it's only 1 gig Ethernet. Good job. Two Thunderbolt ports, or what they're calling USB 4. I don't think USB 4 is a real thing yet, but, uh, okay, Apple. HDMI 2.0. Two USB A's, and, believe it or not, I am stunned. I am stunned, ladies and gentlemen. I can't believe it, but Apple has finally done it. They have brought forward the one thing we wanted in the world. Are you ready for this? Are you ready for this? It includes 
A headphone jack. I know. I thought they were an extinct species too. But Apple's done it. They have resurrected the headphone jack from the dead. And put it on this Mac Mini. You, however, lose the ability to upgrade the RAM. Since it's now all unified on the SOC. Oh, and by the way, don't worry. The Mac Mini, MacBook Air, and MacBook Pro all do include a charger in the box. Because Apple cares about the environment, but they don't care that much. They also don't care enough to actually make anything repairable either, but I digress. So, and you you know what's even better? You know what's even better? Because this is something that a lot of people have noticed. I'll actually jump back to that slide in a second. We're going to do things a little out of order. Um, You noticed how freaking... um, how Apple kind of shunned NVIDIA away and put all their eggs in the AMD GPU basket. A move that was, um, how do I put this? A move that was really dumb, to say the least. Well, it's kind of funny because now AMD is starting to have good GPUs, at least if their slides are anything to go by. We're going to find out, I think, this week? We'll find out soon-ish, TM, how good these 6,000 series AMD GPUs are. But you know what Apple didn't include any of these? They're all using their own integrated Apple's custom GPUs that are Built into the SOC, which by the way are up, which by the way is six times faster. Just a reminder that it's six times faster than something. I think it's six times faster than my Samsung watch, but I'm not a hundred percent certain. Instructions are very much unclear. But one thing that was removed from these M1 Macs, the ability to use eGPUs. An eGPU, if you are unaware, is a small enclosure, and you just connect this enclosure to whatever device, in this case a Mac, and you can use that external enclosed GPU as though it were internal. That's gone. And if you notice, there's no AMD GPUs in any of these Macs. So apparently, Apple is allergic to good graphic cards since they kicked NVIDIA out after they got really good. Now they're kicking out AMD now that they're getting very good and just going to stick with using their own, which are just 6x better. Than something. Now, according to the Geekbench 
marks that came out. Um, they should actually be pretty good, according to these leaked benchmarks. But um, there's just a problem with these benchmarks. You want to know why you keep seeing Geekbench used for Max? And this is something that was kind of, that I feel kind of dumb for not realizing this sooner. Geekbench is a benchmark that runs for uh, I don't know a minute, not even. It barely runs long enough to heat soak whatever the cooling solution is. So the CPU never thermal throttles. Very few loads in the world that actually require performance only run for under a minute. I mean, quick, how many of you game for under a minute? How many of you fire up Crisis and just play for 45 seconds and then close it? No one? Anyone? Yeah, that's what I thought. It kind of makes the benchmark kind of odd. And then on top of that, it is um it doesn't really stress the CPU in any way that's comparable to the real real world. So it's just kind of Eh? Chat says rendering TikTok videos. The thing is, is that that load is going to be on there as long as you're viewing the video. And also, who wants a benchmark in watching TikTok? Dude, 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 this new MacBook Air is 3.7 times better at viewing TikTok. Whoa. There is the selling point right there. That's That's the Apple game right there. 4x more more Facebook performance. Uh, This, however, brings me to my final point in all of this. A benchmark like Geekbench doesn't really test a whole lot and every workload is different every single one so if you go ahead and watch for example the benchmarks of the Radeon 6900 nice versus the RTX 3090, you're going to notice one is faster in certain games and one's faster in others. 
that's because they're two radically different GPUs. It's not that one has an AMD badge and the other has an NVIDIA badge. They fundamentally work radically different on the inside to get a similar result. And one way can be better in certain areas than other. And that's going to be the case here with the M1. Yeah, the M1 scored really well with Geekbench 5. That's great. How well is it going to work with Photoshop? Guess how many times better the new MacBook Air when you buy it is going to be at Photoshopping versus your old MacBook Pro. The answer is that it's going to be zero X better. Because the current MacBook Air can't use Photoshop. It's not ready yet. Because the way the M1 works is radically different than how the Intel chip works. And it's not ready. You're going to have similar problems with a Amazon custom-built chip. Granted, Amazon is custom-building their chip for one specific purpose. It's basically an ASIC, an application-specific integrated chip. I think that's what the I in ASIC stands for, but I digress. But it is also why I kind of doubt the Google custom-made chip is going to be anything more than a marketing push, a marketing point. Because right now, that's all the M1 appears to be. And the fact that Apple is putting forward, quite possibly, the jankiest, dumbest, most, most nothing The most nothing marketing ever for this M1 chip kind of tells me everything I need to know. Apple has zero faith in their own silicon. But it's 3x faster. The less specific your numbers, the less faith you have. You want to know, you want proof on that? Look at it. Look at NVIDIA. They were so confident in their 3000 series. They said straight up, here's where our old GPUs were. Here's where our new ones are. It is exactly this much better. And when the independent benchmarks came out, it was pretty much dead on. This cheaper GPU is going to match our old flagship. Sure enough, for the most part, it was either a little faster or a little slower. It pretty much matched it. AMD, anytime they're ready to release a new Ryzen chip, here's where we rank against the Intel ones. You could expect 20% more performance per clock. You could expect this, that, and the other thing. Guess what? Because every single time... They have released it. They were pretty much dead on with their numbers. Their hype actually matched up. 
because we were able to measure it. That shows confidence. To say that our that your MacBook Air is that your that your new chip is 3.5x faster CPU than something and 6x faster GPU and 15 times faster machine learning something or another. That's you vomiting numbers. You're scared, Apple. You're not dripping with confidence. You think you've made a mistake. But maybe I'm wrong. Maybe Apple's marketing team is just terrible at everything they do. We're going to find out. Pre-orders already opened up, of which I hope none of you were suckers enough to buy into it. And I already know quite a few independent outlets that are going to be testing this like nobody's business. Chat says that Apple always writes like this. The thing is, though, is that they always... Here's what Apple usually does. Apple usually says... It is... It is 70% faster than previous MacBook Airs. They compare it to their own stuff. Because they know they have better chance against those numbers. Or back when they had the Power PC. Back when the Power PC was the monster that it was. They compared it specifically against... Actually, they usually compared it against Dell. It was usually Dell Latitude that were up there comparing against their Power Books. Or Dell Precision Workstations competing against the Power Max. They were very specific in the way they've always done it. This, they're comparing against nothing. I don't know. It doesn't bode well. We're going to take a break here when we come back. Let's talk about gaming. Next Gen's here and, uh, ooh, there's some fun stories in there. To remind pet owners that Progressive covers pets on our auto policy at no extra charge, we're making a really cute pet-themed radio commercial. Hear that snoring? Two sleeping puppies. Oh, they're awake! And they're heading over to that cute chubby baby that's just sitting there. What? Oh, now they're licking his face. Words will never do this justice. You'll just have to picture it. Get coverage for your pets with an auto policy from Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates. Coverage for cats and dogs included with the purchase of collision coverage and is subject to policy terms.
Welcome back, Eagle Eyes on Tech. I'm Eagle Falcon. All right, we've got reports of an RTX 3060 launching in J -j -j January. And we'll supposedly have a 12 gigabyte configuration. Now, here's the real question. When is it actually going to be available? Seriously, when is it actually going to be available? Because I'm fairly certain if I go to, you know, a major retailing website and look up, say, oh, I don't know, the earliest launched uh, NVIDIA Ampere card there was, I'm willing to bet it is still unavailable. Wow, I was right. This is not the publicity that NVIDIA needs right now. That's a shame because I'd love, I would love to throw a 3070 or a 3060 in my freaking scrapyard gaming PC and breathe new life into it and know that that GPU would easily, easily be powerful enough to to justify a transplant into a newer system when the CPU in the scrapyard system is finally not enough for modern games. Too bad none of the NVIDIA GPUs in Ampere exist at all. I'm telling you, if, if AMD handles these GPU releases even slightly better than NVIDIA did. It's going to be a huge underline, huge boon for AMD's Radeon division. All right. Speaking of gaming, the Xbox Series X and the PlayStation 5 both released this week. And to the surprise of pretty much no one, they sold out pretty much immediately. And also, there are some problems with the early versions. The Xbox Series X uh, would billow out thick white smoke. Just kidding, that didn't happen. But plenty of people were very eager to believe that, in fact, the Xbox Series X was a giant smokestack. It was, in fact, a hoax. Several different people were vaping into their Xbox Series X air intake to have smoke billow out of the top. By the way, very cool effect. However, it led to, quite possibly, the best tweet in all of 2020, where Xbox had to tell everyone, please do not vape into your Xbox Series X. It is not designed to be vaped into. Slow freaking clap. Good job. Good job, Internet. Now, shifting over to real problems. The Series X, however, does seem to have a disk problem. Certain models of the disk drive that the Series X uses uh, either will not take a disk, 
will start taking in and then have very odd, ominous clicking and whirring noises or just always have clicking and whirring noises, whether there's a disc in it or not. At the time of recording this, Xbox has not issued a statement on it. More than likely, they will soon TM-ish, hopefully. I would assume so, to be perfectly honest. Uh, now, that being said, the PlayStation 5 has something that's more horrifying and uh, much easier to fix. The PlayStation 5 apparently has a storage glitch that can brick brand new consoles. So... What the issue is, it is as follows. This was this was a tweet from ACG, who I have never heard of. He said that my PS5 is 100% dead. I was having storage rebuild issues, others reported, but mine escalated to full errors and network issues slash boot. Sony and I were working through troubleshooting it when it died completely. So at this time, I will be moving content around. The issue seems to be caused when the PlayStation 5 tells players it needs to rebuild the storage. Whatever the heck that means. Whatever the heck that means seems to be a theme on today's podcast. And while this seems to just be... This seems to be the start of the problem. And then, of course, trying to rebuild it, it then just escalates and then it dies. So, more than likely, this can be easily solved with a software patch. First, Sony just has to find the cause, write the patch, and then release it. But, let's be honest... It's the first batch on mass-produced consoles. Of course, there's going to be some quality concerns as both Xbox and Sony want to make sure there's something out there so they don't become NVIDIA, who is sitting over there. We're the only people that have NVIDIA graphic card 3000 series right now are either tech reviewers scalpers or actual sorcerers those are the only people who ha- who have ampere gpus right now prove me wrong but yeah no surprise i just wait a bit all right future eagle here um full disclosure we actually had to chop off um about five minutes of the live recorded podcast because unfortunately there was an audio error and it caused all the audio for the rest of that podcast or at least that segment to be unusable uh fortunately we did find out about it before the final segment so we still have that from the live podcast but we do have a couple of stories that had to be chopped off which we are going to cover now such as the good news 
that we reported last week that the PlayStation 5 was not going to support 1440p. It was going to be 1080 or 4K, which, uh, by the way, is a huge jump in demand on the system. Now you might be thinking, oh, it's a console, whatever. It'll just do what it can. It's it's always going to be good at whatever it is. They wouldn't let you do 4K if it couldn't do 4K. Well, you say that, but look at the Series S versus the Series X. Already, there are a couple of videos out there from YouTubers comparing those two consoles. And there are dramatic performance differences between the two. And I'm telling you, trying to have it go ahead and push, what would that be, 16 times the pixels or something like that? Going from 1080 to 4K? Don't quote me on that. I'm actually not sure off the top of my head. But in any case, it is much, 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 much more demanding on the hardware than normal. No, it's four times. What am I thinking? Where did I get 16 times from? That's crazy talk. No, the the jump from 1080p to, to 4K is is 4x. Wow, I can't believe I. Anyway, I digress. So to see Sony decide to go ahead and support 1440p, despite the fact that it's not a standard resolution for you know TVs, I support this because let's be honest, not everyone games on a TV. There are, of course, big format gaming displays, which are not TVs, but are as big as TVs. There are plenty of, there are plenty of people, like myself, that the only time we play any console games is actually at the computer desk. I know. I must be a weirdo for doing such things, but there are more than just me out there that do that. And then, of course, there's streamers. Eventually, the infrastructure can be in place for 1440p streaming. Eventually. It's not right now. At least not in any widespread capacity. But in time, it will be there. And if your game's at 1080p, or you have to downscale from 4K, it's not going to look good either way. So I, for one, do applaud Sony for deciding to do this. The other thing I want to point out is this article came courtesy of us from Kit Guru. And uh, in their graphic for this article, they decided to use a Dell Silverback UltraSharp. This is about a 2006 LCD monitor. And the only reason I know this is because these are one of the most common high-end workstation monitors back in the day. These monitors also topped out at 1080p. Well, actually, they topped out at 1920 by 1200 if they were widescreen. If they were 4 by 3 which a lot of them were, it'd be 1600 by 1200 But I digress. They did not go up to 1440p unless they were the 30-inch model. And, uh... Kikuru, I'm just going to tell you, that monitor is not 1440p. That's more of just a flex on uh, my own knowledge of monitors than anything else. 
I kind of feel like one of those comic book geeks. Well, actually, Spider-Man was not around. I'm basically a comic book geek, except with business equipment. I don't think I could sound any more boring than that. Meanwhile, in a parallel universe, Nintendo has launched the Super Mario Bros. Game and Watch. It is a small, portable little console with a color LCD that, I'm not going to lie, it takes me back to my camping days. I used to have a little Game and Watch back when I was back when I was but a wee young eagle. It would sit at my bedside in the trailer when we were out in the middle of nowhere. And it would play, um, I can't remember what exactly it was, but it was a Mario thing. But the thing is, you have to realize, is that the Game & Watch, because it wasn't a true LCD screen. Well, I mean, it was an LCD screen, but it didn't run on pixels. It was the ones where there was just, like, set sprites and set locations. That was the tech we had back then. And I had one of these things. It was kind of cool. I don't know what happened to that thing. I'm not going to lie, I kind of want one, but I don't know if I can justify the $100 plus price tag for one of these. And it really would just be a piece of nostalgia. Either way, I'd say it's a cool little collectible that Nintendo has made. And I, for one, say, you know what, Nintendo, you keep on doing whatever the heck it is you're doing. While everyone else tries to figure out how many rays they can trace, Nintendo's just like clocks. All right, we're going to take our break here when we come back. We're going to be talking more about the NVIDIA content as well as the Ford E-Transit. I think we actually already covered all the NVIDIA stuff. Like I said, I'm recording this after the fact, so I have to go and stitch this in back with the podcast was after this though it will be the last segment and the end of the live stuff we'll be right back
modern leaders, it's not just their ability to reason that we value or their eloquence. It's more than their intelligence that we admire. What truly matters is their humanity. Just like modern leaders, the LS is human at heart. Every aspect of the Lexus LS is crafted around you, engineered to a higher standard, the human standard. The new 2021 Lexus LS. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Welcome back, Eagle Eyes on Tech. I'm Eagle Falcon. All right, so one of my criticisms way back when Tesla announced the Tesla Semi was the fact that the the vehicle made no sense for long haul. Because when you're talking about what the bulk of semi-truck driving is, it's what's known as OTR, or long-haul trucking. I know those acronyms don't, don't match up. That's not the point. Most truckers end up spending days, weeks, months living in their trucks, transporting tons upon tons upon tons of cargo. And even that is understating how much cargo is actually hauled in semis crisscrossing across the countries. Yeah, you heard me, plural. And to go ahead and say, hey, we're going to restrict you to these specific charging locations. And oh, by the way, our semi-truck doesn't have a sleeper in it. It made no sense for the Tesla semi-truck to be a world-changing vehicle. Yeah, you can use it for what's referred to as regional trucking actually not even regional regional you're usually still have some kind of sleeper but for local going from say one warehouse to another that's doable but then you're still talking about hours spent at these charging stations and no you're not going to be able to take your Tesla semi-truck home and charge it at home. Oh, my God. I still remember the Twitter guy who who tweeted that at me when I tried saying how much the Tesla semi was not going to change a whole lot. And that still blows me away. So, for local transit, an electric semi makes sense. Charge it at the warehouse, goes out and makes delivery comes back charges eight hour hours overnight on your crazy high wattage charger in order to power something like that that makes sense but most local transportation right now is not done via semi-truck it's done on light and medium duty trucks those being your cargo vans or your what people have basically called U-Haul trucks or straight trucks. Which then enter Ford finally doing what everyone expected to happen, create an all-electric cargo van. 
the E-Transit. And for the most part, I'd say they pretty much nailed this. It is a very familiar truck, in air quotes. Upfitting it for whatever sort of transportation needs you want is very simple, since it's the exact same vehicle. But there are some oddities about it. So the vehicle itself looks exactly the same as Ford's current transit. And full disclosure, the company I run does own a Ford Transit. But there's some things that make me go, why? Like, for example, they put the charging door on the front grill. But they still left the cutout door for the fuel door on it. That's just one that just baffles me right off the bat. Why wouldn't you just put the charging door there? But that's kind of minor, in all honesty. The biggest problem that this sucker has is the range. The Tesla Semi claimed to have a 320-mile range. Or something along those lines. The E-Transit is so embarrassed about its range, I cannot find it to save my life scrolling up and down the... Up oh, there it is. I found it. The E-Transit has a whopping 126 miles of range. Um, what? Chat is saying that the, um, the front, the front charging port is for simplified chargers. The thing is, is that a lot of the high wattage non-Tesla chargers, they position their chargers very similar to how gas station pumps are. So it's easier to access it from the side than it would be from the front. At least the ones I've seen. Maybe that's not the case everywhere. I don't know. But in any case, that's still minor compared to the 126 miles of range. Our transit on a full tank of gas is 402 miles on the full tank. And back when we had, we had one route that was very long It was roughly a 95-mile round-trip route. If there was any construction or, say, it was a cold day and we didn't get that much charge out of the battery, or, heck, just over the life of the vehicle, eventually that the range you're going to have on that battery is going to go down, it is a great point of concern. That being said, this is an important step to electrification. The semi-truck, you're not there yet. It's just not there yet. This, on the other hand, is a step closer. 
But it's just that. It is a step. Now, if you were really paranoid, if you were a business owner who was very paranoid about uh, your e-transit running out of power, Ford has you covered. Because Ford did also release an all-hybrid F-150. What does that have to do with anything? Well, you see, their marketing push on this pickup truck is that you can use the hybrid inverter basically as a generator pumping out a 220-volt plug in the back of the bed. And you could, if you wanted to, go take that F-150 down to wherever you have your transit and just give it a quick charge for an hour. But you have the option. You can go and get... An F-150, a vehicle that almost no company ever uses as a real company vehicle, unless they just wanted to make a statement of saying, I has pickup truck RAR, and go charge your e-transit because your glorified UPS driver forgot to to plug in his phone and his truck last night. Uh... But again, I am glad to see that someone is making an effort. I did hear that Mercedes announced a uh, an all-electric Sprinter last year. But um, when I tried to actually do research for that van, all I found were rumors. Whereas this e-transit is going to launch late next year it's a 2022 model chat wants to know does the e-transit have a headphone jack i don't know (laughs) i would assume it does also one other thing it bafflingly has much like the uh where is it i just saw it Much like the F-150, this E-Transit will also give you the ability to have a full inverter and um, outlet in the back of the truck if you go and get that option to go power other equipment. In case you wanted to push what little range you had in the first place to its absolute limit still nice to have the option though in all seriousness i for one welcome the e-transit i will not be buying one though especially at a 25 percent premium then we're happy with our trucks currently honda is saying that they will have mass-produced level three autonomous cars soon What the heck is a level three autonomous cars? I'm glad you asked, silly voiced me. Level three autonomous cars means that the car will be able to drive itself without the driver touching anything. Right now, 
most cars that are autonomous TM require the driver to still be paying attention and have, have their hands near the steering wheel most of the time. And in fact, they will prompt the driver to at least boop the steering wheel every so often. Now, I, for one, just want to see, before you go ahead and uh, mass produce these, um, can, can you please give me some kind of, uh, just some kind of test, some kind of proof that uh, that this works extremely well? I'm, I'm not talking like, you know, that this thing is going to be the safest driver in the world and put NASCAR drivers out of business. I just want to say, I just want to see, will they drive better than the average inner city driver? Will this autonomous car not try to run me off the road? Will this autonomous car not just straight up run a red light like it doesn't exist? That's what I want to see for the most part, because as long as I see that... That at least gives some confidence other than a headline. I also want to see that very, very similar thing out of Walmart. Because Walmart is also planning to test deliveries by self-driving car with General Motors Cruise. Oh, boy. Oh man, you, you you know what? Um, I I know I said earlier, uh, off the podcast to to the current live chat that uh, I was glad that uh, I'm just hanging out in my apartment over the weekend and not seeing any form of life. You know what? I think I might extend that. You know, a month. I think that might be the best. I would just need to figure out how to actually work from home successfully dang it i'd have to go to work to get my equipment first gosh dang it oh well which brings us to the last burb the last story of the day the weirdest story of the week honestly we probably had weirder stories but they ended up being real stories like everyone and their mother trying to make their own cpu but instead i give you nanoleaf the company that is infamous for putting LEDs into a unique shape and then charging you your left kidney for a set of six, they have decided we're going to make light bulbs. Well, I, for one, look forward to the RGB disease escaping our gaming computers and keyboards. And getting out into the mainstream and lighting up the entire world. But here's the real question. Here is the real question I want to ask Nanoleaf. If I sync these all up with my iPod and play Christmas carols out of the Trans-Siberian Orchestra, will it automatically make a light show 
or will I have to go and spend hours of my time doing it myself? Because I'm just saying, I don't have that kind of time. If I'm going to troll the neighborhood, I, I want it to be as effortless as possible. Folks, that is going to do it for this episode of Eagle Eyes on Tech. Thank you so much for listening. And please, I encourage you, check out the daily podcast, The Early Burb Briefing, which airs every single morning at 4 o'clock Central Time. You can find that wherever you found this podcast. On iHeartRadio, on iTunes, on whatever the heck Google's doing. I still have no idea what they're doing over there. It is a hot mess. Spotify, literally everywhere. And check out my Twitch page, twitch.tv slash eaglefalcon. Take care, and hopefully... We'll see you next time. So I, I just I, I'm not familiar with Nanoleaf as far as which RGB software they sync with. Does that mean I have to go invest in the Corsair ecosystem? Am I gonna have to go back to the dark side and get uh Razor Chroma? Is a version of this gonna be available for the little light inside the fridge? Cause I'm not gonna lie, I would totally put one of these light bulbs inside the fr- inside someone else's fridge at least and when they open it just have it become the fastest flashing rainbow i possibly could that would be amazing
modern leaders, it's not just their ability to reason that we value or their eloquence. It's more than their intelligence that we admire. What truly matters is their humanity. Just like modern leaders, the LS is human at heart. Every aspect of the Lexus LS is crafted around you, engineered to a higher standard, the human standard. The new 2021 Lexus LS. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer.